Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to The Naked Podcaster. I'm Jen Taylor, the host, and today I'm here with Erica Reesberg. Erica, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm awesome. I love this. Uh, I got your name right, and now everything will be in show notes, so it's no stress here, but your website is Mm allthingsinthenameoflove.com. So let's jump in and tell me who you are and what you do. Well, who I am is, uh, that's a good question, a multifaceted being (laughs) who uh, was called about a year ago to start a podcast and I ignored it um, because I didn't really think I had any skill sets, even though I've done voiceovers for 10 years. I did oral histories. I know how to, like the whole thing. It was like, why are you not using all these amazing skills? And then this year I started it because I felt called to share what my background was what my journey um, in the past four years has been and what it's become is interviewing people about their spiritual journeys and how they're getting into who they really are. I love that because I think, well, Simon Sinek has a platform where he talks about finding your why and, and how we kind of work things backwards. And he's coming from a business standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, I think it works the same way. The what and the how, well, if you don't know why, if you're not finding your reasons, what drives you, then it's kind of moot. So I love that you're doing this. It's so up my alley. Thank you. What are, now you have a podcast, so you interview people, and is it mostly about their spiritual journey? Who kind of are your ideal guests? My ideal guests are people who are authentic, who who have navigated this life of of just digging through all the bullshit that they've had to go through to find out who they are at their core. And then how they live like that. I call it spiritual because that typically is what happens. Um, You have this tragic thing and that causes you to shift your perspective. And then you want to dig deeper into that, that core of who you are. You talk on the website is that you want to provide, it's so interesting because your podcast and my podcast are totally different and absolutely the same. (laughs) That's so awesome. I know. And, you know, you see trends. It's what's so interesting is that um, as people, I think we're reaching out in a lot of the same ways, but it's based on our personality and our skill sets and our strengths and what our struggles were. But yours says that your mission is to provide ideas and resources to help others open up to seeing concepts and problems from the perspective of love instead of fear. Mm -hmm. And my whole platform is let's talk about what you do and then where you came from, what were your struggles and the who, what, when, where, and how you got through them or you're still getting through them because it's often not a one and done. It's a journey, not a destination. And then the tips and tools and tricks you learned that you kind of built in your toolbox, maybe without even knowing it so that other people feel less alone and that maybe they they learn about a tool or a tip or a trick or some modality that they didn't previously know about. And so I love how um, aligned and parallel our missions are and completely different. It's so exciting to me. <laughs> it is. And you actually have a PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I think 
I think we express our baggage in different ways. So I never finished school. So when people have like degrees, I'm so genuinely proud of you because I know how hard it was for me working through college and then I didn't finish. Having said that, it doesn't mean that having a degree or not having a degree necessarily means anything other than a piece of paper. Mm-mm. But how cool that you stuck through to get that piece of paper and use it. So tell me a little bit about that. I, and this is really curious to me how it all Okay. Goes. So um, this relates into my journey. So I was a really spiritual kid, and I'm giving you the context for this because I'm a contextual person. Um, and I used to have uh, communication with non-physical beings. When my grandfather died, Uh, That all shut down, and the last indication of what I got, things like big points in my life that I knew were going to happen were I was going to get a PhD, my father was going to have a really ridiculously tragic death, which he did, and my partner was going to be older than me, which he is. And then I didn't get anything. I shut down emotionally and everything. And I decided at that point, I was like, okay, what can I handle? This is 12. What can I handle? as a subject that I can actually get a PhD in that I won't go mad with. And the answer was history. And it's not the dates and battles. The dates and battles are, (sighs) what I'm curious about is how do we live in different periods? Like what, what was like the, the technology changed, but how do we exist as human beings? And and so that's what the draw for history has been. Um, and then subsequent to that, the other one that I just realized a couple months ago was, oh, actually what you were doing was trying to figure out why anyone's like, what, what is the other in the world? Like, why is there an other? Well, actually there isn't. It's something in our heads that we do, we define because we're fearful, but there's no difference between you and me or the chair I'm sitting on or the microphone here because at a quantum level, there's nothing that's different. We just perceive it as different. So the history degrees were all about like trying to figure this out from an intellectual standpoint and my spiritual thing, Um, which really came into focus four years ago when I took a vow of peace was figuring out what the, what the intellect was telling me that I had to figure out on a deeper level. There's a battle. Sometimes I think uh, logic and emotion, they don't Mm -hmm. play well in the sandbox. And I know, I mean, I've been, I've had situations. I remember, um, with my partner where I was really pissed off. And, and he said, why are you pissed? And honestly, I was like, I don't know, because logically this makes absolutely no sense. And I recognize mm-hmm. that it makes no sense, but emotionally I'm really reacting strongly. And so I think it's less about you than it is about me. And I need to try to figure out where the logic and emotion connect, right? Is that kind of the connection you're talking about? Well, it is, much and, bigger. it is, and what I will add to that is when you do get that trigger, that emotional, step back, give yourself a time yeah. out and let yourself actually feel it because all it wants is to have that attention. And we're trained that 
crying is a bad thing or that really feeling like what is, let me sit with myself and actually feel everything so I can actually not carry this anymore. And for me, what I've learned as a practice is since beautiful, amazing academic head um, likes to trip me up and Mm -hmm. I like to be in the present because I love just experiencing I don't want to plan things six months out. I actually am at a point right now where like if somebody says, let's do something in January, I'm like, well, that's too far away because I'm so happy in this, like just being. Um, and when I don't, when I'm not there, what I do is I put my hands on my heart and I inhale deeply through my nose and exhale deeply through my mouth. And I do that a few times to just get out of my head. Which is really hard. And that's why I always say, you know, they just don't play well. So you need to, yeah. And I'm glad in that moment, at least in that one, I was like, wait a minute, let me, let me just feel this and figure it out because it does not make any sense. And there's no reason I should be reacting. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I love that. So now let's take me back. We touched on things a little bit, which I kind of knew we would mm-hmm. um, when I brought up the PhD. But, like, let's go back because you had a traumatic history from the day you were born, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I was born with a right hip that wasn't fully formed. And that was in the lovely year of 1969. And so at the time, the technology wasn't all that hot. Um, and by six months I was in traction and my dad's, um, my dad was a high school teacher and the shop kids built a little traction thing for me so I could stay at home because otherwise it would have been the hospital. So that was really amazing. And it was still torture because you're six months old and you don't get what the hell is going on. All in, you just know you're getting, you're in pain and one leg if you're aware of the fact that you have different legs this one leg is getting tugged and after six months they brought me into the doctor's office and I was put in a body cast and I escaped it three times (laughs) right on all right Erica that's my kind of girl but probably not great for your parents or the doctors so right I mean after the third time after the third time I broke it he was like she's just done we'll just hope for the best and fortunately and gratefully I can walk normally Um, my left my right leg was about a half inch shorter than my left leg until about five years ago when I started using a Pilates reformer machine and now I'm even holy cow that's incredible Pilates. I adore Pilates. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, because it's a stretching out. Right. Yeah. So it moved things back where they needed to be. Right. So that's the, like, I felt fear from pretty much six months on. And then I have um, one of the aspects of my journey is to fully love myself, which is something I'm learning. Um, my grandmother, love her. I get where she was at. Very conditional love. My mother, 
was abused as a kid. Very unstable love. My father was emotionally repressed. We're talking, you were born in 69, I was born in 70, and I think our parents' generation, not that this is any excuse, but I do a lot of research when I wrote my book about the 70s because I was seeing it from the eyes of a kid. Mm-hmm. Repressed is an understatement and like the, dysfunctional in how they thought about relationships. Mm-hmm. And so on one side, it's not necessarily his fault. On the other side, <laughs> take ownership. Right. Right. And and and, and yeah. what ended up happening with him is because he was emotionally repressed, um he got up to four hundred pounds. He was a, a hoarder. He when he went into the hospital, uh he got pancreatitis because he was drinking two gallons of cider a week. Wow. And then he got a then he got a staph infection and was in intensive care for three months. So that's what I mean by dramatic. I mean, it was really dramatic. And I was living out in Washington and he was in Connecticut. So I had to fly back and forth a couple of times and he could move his eyes. He was paralyzed except for his eyes. And I was like, Oh, this karma. And I'm getting chills while I'm telling you this. It was karma. It was like, you're not dealing with your emotions when you're functional, you're going to deal with them now. And so for three months, he couldn't move. And then when he died, I was, thankfully, I was there. Um, He was in hospice the last day. And they're like, you wear gloves. Don't touch him. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. He's dying. I have a healthy immune system. I know how to take care of myself. I know the supplements. And because that's what I do with my research is I research supplements now and I make myself super healthy. But um, so I take the gloves off and I just touch him because what he needs is human touch. He's dying. I can't allow the rules to keep me from showing you my love. And That day we left for the day because we're like we don't the do- the doctor's like he could be around for another day we'll just and we didn't want to spend the entire day there because it's really super depressing. So we get in the car, we start driving home. I hear my phone. I say, "Mom, Dad died. That's the hospital." I turn around. I get back. I go into the hospice room. I look at his body, and that's not him. I don't recognize him. He's jaundiced. He's lost 100 pounds. He's not in there. And then I feel... And it was a soul. And he scattered across the universe. And it was the most profound reassurance to me. Not just for him, but for all of us that we're okay. We just leave this body, but we're okay. Better maybe. Yeah. How difficult was the journey with him, especially in that last three months after the, I'm gonna use the word baggage, might not be the right word, of childhood growing up with him? Well, what was hard was, so, 
seminal point in my life is when my grandfather dies. My grandfather's my best friend. He is the one that sees me. He celebrates me. He, he's joyful with me, not with anyone else in the family, but with me. There's this amazing relationship. And so he dies and nobody gets that because they're all dysfunctional people and they don't see that this can happen, multi intergenerational. My dad, who had been taking me on the, on the, we had a cabin on a little lake in Connecticut and he'd take me in the boat and he'd go, Rick, look, it's a beaver. Or look, look at the turtle sunning himself. And I had this, this amazing magical experience with him until my grandfather died. And so I lost two people. And I wanted like that, that deep connection with nature, that, that knowing, sorry about that knocking, um, that deep knowing of, of I'm part of everything got shut down because grandpa dies. I'm not allowed to go down to the beach anymore for reasons I still don't understand. My dad shuts off. Um, I don't have anyone to communicate with. So, and, and through the next 30 years, I try to reach out and be dad, let's, let's do stuff together. Let's, let's have that connection again. And he couldn't do it. So having him paralyzed, um, it was so frustrating because I saw all that he could have been. And I, I, that's a gift I have is I can see the souls of people. I see how beautiful everyone is to the exclusion of ignoring their baggage, <laughs> which is, it's a coping mechanism and I know it and I'm cleaning that out as we speak. Um, but you know, having that, that this is what you were. Why couldn't you have been here? That was the hardest part for me to see him throwing his life away because he couldn't love himself. What was the eating the weight from? Was that his process of emotions? Do you feel? Yeah. That and the shopping, he was, he hoarded fishing equipment, he hoarded books, he hoarded clothes, like ridiculous, and newspapers. My mom spent six months cleaning out the house, just of newspapers. How did she deal with all of this situation? Um, it was a battle. It was a battle. Um, I, I, we both had this one. I remember one time I come home from college and he also hoarded food. So I opened the refrigerator and it's packed and there's stuff that's like science experiments. <laughs> and I start tossing it knowing that he's not going to come home and find me because he won't notice it if he doesn't see me doing it. Well, he came home early <laughs> and we had an epic battle and I'm he pulls I have cheese that's like you know it's 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 not blue cheese but it's become blue cheese and I, I tossed it 
and he pulls it out of the garbage. He's like, what's wrong with it? Okay, there's something wrong here, Dad. If you can't see that, what is it that you're like? I didn't have the awareness then, but it's like, what is it that is so damaged within you that you think moldy cheese is healthy? Like, what is what is that saying about you? And and so. It was a really, I had one really profound, amazing conversation with him when I was having a trouble at my job and I was out in Washington and, and I called him like, dad, what do you do? And he actually shared a personal experience with me just to help me. I was like, this would have been really helpful for the past 30 years. <laughs> but he just couldn't. He couldn't connect with his own emotions, so he couldn't connect with anyone else's. Hmm. I think it's easier. One thing, hindsight's easier. The other mm-hmm. thing, man, I can help you deal with your shit all day long. Yeah. I'm outside of it. Outside mm-hmm. looking in, I mean, that, that window view into someone else makes everything seem easy, right? Yeah. Like the answer is right there in front of your face. But when you're embroiled in it, it's nearly impossible. So I I think we're all a little bit in one way or another like your dad where we can't, we can help other people, but we can't help ourselves. The thing that so tremendously sucks is losing your grandfather and your dad to some degree. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's harder for me when the person is there and unavailable than just Mm -hmm. gone yeah although i know when my dad died what was hard was like then there wasn't the possibility of things changing and getting better Mm -hmm. there's no possibility of anything anymore so that that hope that burns in the heart of the child inside you that dad will come back and be who he was or what you want dies that flame Mm -hmm. dies because it's not possible anymore Tell me about how empathic you were from a little kid, because I think many, many, many are. (laughs) Yeah, I I just finished reading um, Sean Korn's Our Revolution, and she talks about patterning as a coping mechanism. Okay. I'm like, oh, shit, I do that. I still do that. Like, I'm aware, I watch myself, and I am patterning. This is fascinating because it's a way of, of... bringing um control in the chaos like right. it's it's a coping thing so so empath little empath um at three we're down at the cabin and there's a, a gaggle of geese a canadian geese and i just walk into them i'm like hey these are my friends they get me i get them we're totally cool my parents freak out totally freak out because Canadian geese can be really aggressive. Mm -hmm. Not to me. They surround me because we're friends. Like I get it. I get that. They're just like, they're family. I'm family. We're all good. We're just in different bodies. It doesn't really matter. And they feel my energy and my parents 
finally coax me out because I'm just having a grand old time. We're just tired. Like I, I'm not even aware that there's anything to be scared of because I'm. There's nothing. There's no energy coming from them saying we're going to eat you. They're just like, oh, we get you. We see you. We feel you. And I finally get back to my parents and they're like, don't ever do that again. I'm like, what? Like they're my friends. Like I've always been connected to animals. I've been connected to trees. Um, I struggle with trusting people because I haven't had a great track record with my family. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm aware of it. I, so one of the, the ways that I help heal myself is a, is a modality called body talk. Okay. And it helps you get to your subconscious programming. And it's really, really powerful because you, like you said, you don't know what you're like. Anyone else can see it from the outside, but if it's coming from within, you don't necessarily know how to fix it. And you're not even necessarily aware that you have it. So body talk helps um, bring that subconscious stuff to the surface and then you can clean it out. Can you go into a little bit about how you do it? I don't have the training. I have um I have a practitioner who does it. So she she um taps into my uh, non physical part of me, which we all have, and finds out what is going on within my body that is causing discomfort or pain. So for example, last month, my lips, I've had, my lips have been chapped since like around May, like serious, like peeling off, can't do anything with it. She tunes into it. She figures out what it is. My lips aren't cracked anymore. Hmm. So your, your body always talks to you. And if you're having a physical symptom, it's your body trying to tell you something. So for example, if your liver is, if you're feeling a little off or your energy is low, your liver's probably needing some love. So drink some dandelion tea. Um, so for me, this particular modality is ridiculously powerful because I just, I trust my practitioner. I love her. And I know she's helping me become more of who I really am. It sounds like I have an energy worker. She, she does Reiki, but she's actually from Brazil and she got her training there and it's called energy of the soul. Oh, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. And what she does is beautiful. And she's got her background in science. So she's got like three degrees, a doctorate, a master's. So what was great for someone like me or for the logical brain, I was like, so I need to understand how this works. And she gives me the scientific explanation that's proven. And, you know, like, this is what we do that's awesome. in science. We right, And I'm like, oh, like I get it now. And then I can let go of my brain holding me up to just relax and allow things to happen. Mm-hmm. And often you're right. I mean, when I, when I work with her, it's never what I think it's going to be the whole session. And mm-hmm. it's always unexpected. I, she's she's one of the only people I'm like no I'm constantly pissed at you because 
<laughs> it's not what I want to hear, but it's exactly right. what I want to hear. And it's always super positive. And so same sort of, I think, probably um, different modality for the same sort of result type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Where you're trying to figure out why is your body reacting? And I know that like my husband was saying, okay, well, that's a little woo woo. And I'm like, hey, every time you play a basketball game, you know how you get diarrhea? Or remember when you told me about um, speaking in front of the class at school and that you would actually physically throw up? So that's your body having a physical reaction to something emotional. Yeah. So once you get that your body's constantly having a physical reaction to something emotional and you can tap in like, oh yeah, I do that. This is what happens to me every time I'm in this situation. I'm reacting physically to the situation. Then you get it. And any man, especially men who don't understand the power behind this, the sort of energy work that you're talking about, or I'm talking about is if they like Bruce Lee, they can't ever say anything about energy work, not being a thing because (laughs) yeah. Bruce Lee is like the king of doing abnormally awesome feats with his body that shouldn't be possible because he was using energy. Right. So I'm like, you like Bruce Lee, right? Okay. Do I need to say more? I don't think so. But (laughs) so for people who are questioning that sort of spiritual awakening or guiding or your body holding on, I mean, there's a couple ways it's so easy to explain, but I, I love that. I love that's the same sort of thing that you're explaining though. Yeah. Take me into growing up and you were this kid that you were super in tune to the world around you and the energy in the world, mm-hmm. like the geese were your friends and you can talk to trees. Like yeah. I've never been able to talk to a tree, but I feel my body relax when I'm with them. Just hug it. Oh yeah, I do. All and time. thank you. Oh, I do. We do. That. And the, yes. then you're talking to a tree. Right. Exactly. But I mean, yeah. like, I don't hear anything from them, but I feel my body relax. That's, that's their communication. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So you were super, super, um, like an empath. Mm-hmm. And then grandpa dies and dad pulls away and you stuff that down or let it go. I numb myself out. How? How did you numb yourself out? I stopped stopped paying attention to my emotions. Ooh, that's a dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, because I didn't have an outlet. Right. So I just numb myself out. I start, well, and our society makes it really easy. Don't they? Super easy. I mean, I, I, and then, and I didn't realize, like, so I remember when I was, oh, which, which one was it? I think it was my master's degree. I was studying revolutions because I wanted to understand what conditions existed that would cause people to want to switch out of their current environment. Like what, what would do that for somebody to risk their life to make change? Really curious. And then I read a book called, it sounds really sweet, The Cambodian Odyssey. Oh my gosh, what a traumatic book. Super, super traumatic because it's about the Cambodian Revolution and the ridiculous, nonsensical tragedy of the massacres that occurred there through the perspective of one person. And that was so shocking, I pulled in more. 
because it was too painful. When I was starting my PhD program, one of my professors, and I love her and I hope she's doing well. <laughs> this is like the, this is the most, this is the most fucked up thing I've ever read. Okay. Um, how, how to draw and quarter someone. Holy shit. I'm like, why do I need to read this? What? I don't ever plan on doing this to another human being. What could compel you to do this to us? Like, there was no, and it was a, it was a methodology class. It was like, this doesn't even fit in. What? What are you doing? Are you trying to make me just completely shut down? Because that's so fucked up. I mean, really, that's. Nobody should ever learn that. That should be burned. That should be destroyed. That should never exist because it's so. I I, I don't even have words for it. It was it was just hideous. Um, and then I really pulled in because I'm like pulling in. I'm numbing, 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 numbing because the world is too violent. And then dad dies four years after I graduate. I start to meditate. It's like a little bit, little bit. It's this beautiful thing by um, Vishen from Mind Valley. He had this beautiful recorded meditation where every day part of it, the one that sticks to me is forgiveness. You have to find somebody in your life that you have to forgive. So I listened to that for six years. Because that's the only meditation I know. And I was like, okay, this is my daily meditation. It's like 15 minutes. This is great. I'm meditating. And then um, I met my mentor through a coach and started listening to her meditations. And then the Paris bombings happened. And something about people experiencing joy getting killed snapped me. I was like, that, that's just too much. That's just too much. And so I said at the end of the meditation to whoever was listening, because I don't know who's in non-physical, but I was just like, okay, guys, I am taking a vow of peace. I don't know what this means, but I can't do this anymore. I can't have violence in my life anymore. And so that week, I stopped reading all of my action books. I stopped going to movies because even comedies are violent. Um, I changed the music on my iPod. And then I went, okay, it's gone. That's great. I don't have anything that has violence in my life externally. What do I do now? Shit, I don't have anything to read. I don't even know what I'm going to watch. Like, what the hell? What did I just do to myself? Because I was just like, ah, I have to get this out. Now, what do I fill it with? Oh, geez. Well, I don't know because, you know, that's been my life. So fortunately, I have friends. <laughs> I live in Portland and I have a really cool couple of bookstores, Powell's and New Renaissance Bookstore, that that have books that are educational and enlightening. And I'm not saying Powell's is all that. Powell's is every single book you could possibly hope for, but like there is there are pockets where you can find amazing things. And and I started just 
doing silent meditations or, or meditations where I just went Om for 20 minutes. And that calms my brain down. And I can, I can tune into the quiet. I can tune into the sweet, soft, sensitive being that I am inside and say, what do I really need? What does my little girl need? What brings me joy? I've, I've uncovered that I miss painting. I miss playing the piano. I stopped playing the piano when I was 10 because my mom uh, was practicing Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Bach and I memorized it and I played it and she lost it. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want to deal with the consequences of my skills flipping my mom out at me, so I'm just not going to play. So I have a keyboard. Um, I have more essential oils than I think I should. (laughs) (laughs) How is that possible? I don't know. The the box is getting pretty full. And, you know, I'm starting to make my own facial products and my own skin products because that brings me joy. That brings my little girl joy because I remember her doing that on a really strange scale when I was little. I used to mix loves, what is it? Loves baby soft. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, 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 um, baby powder because I was, I was like my little girl was I'm I'm an alchemist I'm trying to figure this out what is it and then it became cement and then I'd leave it in the basement and then my parents when they cleaned out the basement are like what is this stuff and I'm like oops <laughs> those are my experiments <laughs> yep failed somewhat yeah yep. okay I have I didn't know mountain rose herbs so <laughs> okay <laughs> I think we all did that. I remember making my own lipstick and making a commercial about my own lipstick. That's, That's such a weird memory. I know, I know, I know. And of course it was purple. Don't be ridiculous. Oh, color would be? Yeah, I mean, come on. What other color? Why would you have any other color? I don't know. But I think a lot of us, I mean, as kids, we tap into the things that we love that just bring us joy, that make us happy with no direction or background or life experience. So of mm-hmm. course, it's an epic fail. But of cement, you know. (laughs) So as an adult, though, when you're looking to fill this space with other things, you, it forced you to look into who you were and what brought you joy. Mm -hmm. So I get that. I get that. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I'm a, I'm a community garden manager now because grandpa and I used to garden. So I have my own garden and I won't say I manage anyone because you don't manage a community garden, (laughs) but, but, you know, I'm out and it's a beautiful spot. It's, it's, it's surrounded by trees and it's this beautiful meadow. And so that's, it brings me peace because I'm out. I see the hummingbirds. I see the stellar jays. I see the rabbits. I see like, and I'm back connecting and and there's a big cedar at the base of the um of the garden that i've determined is the anchor of the whole place and i will go up and i will hug it i will tell it how much i love it i thank it for guarding the space i feel the energy so i know it's aware of my presence and my appreciation for it it doesn't talk back to me but it knows i love it 
So it's really beautiful that I'm able to just allow myself to feel that again instead of thinking that it matters if somebody judges me. Oh, well, we're all so, I remember, I, I know having kids has been the most eye-opening for me because we can, I'm instantly embarrassed. You know, mm. I mean, you don't, we wouldn't, I wouldn't walk up to a person and say, why are your front teeth black? But a kid in the grocery store line, this is an actual one that happened, you know, did. And I'm horrified because you don't put your ass on the line. You don't ask tough questions. You don't point out things that other people are uncomfortable about. When the kids go up and say, your necklace is really beautiful. Did you make it? No problem. No problem. Mm -hmm. But you don't ask why people's teeth are black. And I think you know, kids are so raw and vulnerable, like you're explaining yourself with nature and stuff. And we squash the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really, even being aware of that, it's really hard not to, to some degree, so that you don't get your ass beat when you ask the or say the wrong thing because you're just feeling like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being conscious of other people and knowing society norms. I mean, I don't know where that line is or where that balance is, but I don't know that it's wise to verbally vomit anything that comes to our mind anytime in society. Well, at the same time, you don't want to squash the little girl. Well, I think there's a balance of like not being super, well, being mindful of your presentation. Like say, oh, I noticed your teeth are black. What's going on with that? And saying, what the hell is going on with your teeth being black? <laughs> you know, it's a different energy because you're like saying, so tell me about the black teeth. What's going on? <laughs> you know, because because right. that way you're able to hear them in a way that isn't judging, which is really helpful because judging is such a condition that we all have. Which is what you just described with not caring what people think when you're talking to the tree. See, we, mm-hmm. we bypass this, why are your teeth black and go straight into don't say anything and judge people that try. Mm-hmm. And there, there clearly is no, there's no line. There's no cutoff between what's cut. And there should be like, you're right. You, you, you don't need to get your ass beat. You don't need to be crazy um, or rude or disrespectful but at the same time, you should be able to speak what you think and not worry right. about being judged. Yeah. I, I think in our society, it's really hard to find that balance of, yeah, I'm going to do it anywhere. And I don't care what people think. And that's great. But people think you're crazy, <laughs> you know, right. which is not what you really want them to think. Right. But yeah. I love that. I love that you're doing that. That well, I had, I, I don't think I have it anymore, but at one point I had my high school yearbook and I remember this one comment, she said, you're really nice, but you're so strange. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, yes, of course I'm strange. I wear Argyle socks. How I'm a wild girl in Connecticut wearing Argyle socks. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's this, okay, so I'm, I'm strange for you because you don't know what my life experience is. I'm completely normal for me. Right. I mean, we have a guy living across the street. It's not a guy. It's an it. I think that's the term. So it will either dress in normal guy clothes or will wear tight leather pants and heels and hair and full on makeup because that's an expression of what it wants to be with a baritone voice. I can't judge that. 
I don't know what their life experience is. I want to ask, but it's super shy when it comes out like that because it's it's taking so much courage to dress in that way that it doesn't have any more bandwidth to talk to people, which I respect. But it's just, wow, that is so brave that you are so stepping into yourself to the exclusion of what other people think. That's just, wow. Right. Agreed. Because our little kids did that, but we don't do that as we get older. Mm-hmm. Let's connect the, how you, we, you squash things down and you found ways now to bring that back up. But there was a period of time where you were super logical and got the degrees that are amazing. And then you started to blend that the blending is fairly recent um when i graduated i was supposed to get a job with the main state museum their budget came out a month before i graduated and there was no job so i worked at ll beans for three months um moved out here worked at fred Myers for 10 months and brought humility into my life because I was like, I have a PhD. And they're like, yeah, we don't really give a fuck. We're just going to, yeah, just dress those mannequins. But I have a bit, like, it was just this whole humbling thing and getting me out of my ego and the blending. So I don't use my academic training in academia. I knew I was never really an academic. I'm too not rule following. And I don't play hierarchical games, so I'm I'm just not a an academic in that respect. But what I have noticed is, so when I talk to people, and now I have this spiritual component, is like, what is it that I can start relating with you, so I can I can dissolve that illusion of being separate from you, and the the academic part of me gets the socioeconomic educational cultural backgrounds that you and I may have different from each other so I speak to you from a place of trying to relate I try actively to understand and engage with every person I encounter And then with the spiritual component is what's their essence? What's that deeper part of who they are? What is, how can I love them? Which is a practice. I haven't mastered it yet, but it's, it's a, it's a conscious awareness that every being is love. I might not see it. That doesn't mean it's not there. Do you try to figure out in what way is that what the goal is? Um, I try to connect with it. And sometimes I actually do. Most of the time, I just connect. Like, I can connect with you on our, our mutual experiences of growing up in the 70s, which is a trip. 
in New England. I was raised in, in Rhode England. Island. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. See, so there we, I think when we meet people, I know for me, I, I have intent behind this, but I think we do this subconsciously a lot of the time. We try to find the common denominators. Mm-hmm. We could have been wildly different in age and demographic and time period and like all of that stuff, country. Mm-hmm. So I really try hard to find where are our common denominators because those are the things that easily and quickly connect us. Mm-hmm. They're certainly not the only ones and po- quite possibly not the strongest ones, mm-hmm. but they are the initial uh, denominators that we can find mm-hmm. to create a connection with someone we don't really know or to explain right. something we don't understand. Right. Um, so I, in, I have a, an intent behind that, but, and you have an intent behind that mm-hmm. in very different ways. Like yeah. wh- who is this and what is the, what's the denominator that I should be looking for to find love in that person? Mm-hmm. So the last few years have been lightning. You, you told me about your dad, you, you, I, I'll call it a premonition, but that innate sense of those three things. Mm-hmm. And one was that your dad would die horribly, which he did. Mm-hmm. Another one was that you would be with somebody older than you. And I, mm-hmm. I am blanking the third one. Uh, getting my PhD. Oh, your PhD. Oh, we did yeah. that one. Okay. Yeah. That's why I yeah, probably good. just passed. Okay. So <laughs> let's do the third one. The third one. Yay. Oh man, this is, this is a trip. So I moved to Maine in 1996 and get a temp job, doesn't work out. I end up with another temp agency. I walk in a building that's an engineering firm and I meet some of the engineers and one of them is just like, oh my gosh, I know you. Mm. And we both felt it. It was a very strong connection and um, over the course of two years, I ended up leaving my beloved ex-husband who was really, 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 really unhealthy for me because you keep bringing in what is unhealthy for you until you heal it. Uh, and starting my PhD and then a couple years later, he got divorced and then we got together and we've been together since 2004. Wow. Yeah. How great that you met with such a strong connection and yet it wasn't uh, intimate in the way traditionally I think we feel like getting married, you know, or being in a, right. It wasn't sexual or intimate in that way. Right. But you spent years knowing each other and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know, being support for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got my GRE book for me so I could take the GREs, which, uh, but I did. Um, but he was the one that got them for me. My ex-husband reprogrammed our our hard drive so I couldn't sign up for FAFSA the weekend oh. that I was supposed to sign up for it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I that's, love that. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to point out that you said we do subconsciously continue to bring into our life what we haven't healed. Interestingly enough, I like to take that a step further with you. Yeah. When we bring in the opposite, it's scary as hell. And we do our best to 
squash it because it's not familiar. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, I was like, I am ready to do this differently. I need to heal this. I cannot continue to bring the same thing into my life. So I did just that. I brought in exactly what I needed and loved and wanted and God, it was awful. (laughs) It was great. And then there was a couple months of really, really total awfulness. Mm -hmm. And then it was better than I ever imagined, but I feel like we self-sabotage because oh, yeah. even though we hate what we're bringing into our lives, it is mm-hmm. familiar and there's right. safety in that, right? Mm-hmm. In the knowing. Let's end on a high note. Yes. And tell me about what you've seen in your podcast, what you felt, what you've heard um, as far as people talking to you, we kind of touched on, I mean, I asked you who, who do you work with? And it's people that are at a certain point in their journey that are willing to talk about their journey. They're at least on it because mm-hmm. it's not a destination. Right. Tell me some of the, were there all, have there been aha moments? Do you notice threads of similarity? And let's end kind of on that high note of all things in the name of love. My favorite part of my podcast is that I have an opportunity to let other souls shine. We have ridiculously deep conversations because I don't, I don't prep questions. Yeah, Um, I don't either. Yeah. And I have said that I get intuitive hits of where I where I feel the conversation is going and what the next question is going to be and every single time I'm just so blown away by how profound each person is how much they're sharing their own personal path um, and how how amazing each one is it really is. It's just, it's just so amazing. Like people that I would have never guessed or, or having the courage to ask complete strangers um, to be on my show that my ego's like, but they're famous. I'm like, it doesn't matter. They're people. So just opening myself up to feeling the call to ask whomever it is to be on my show because that's the person I want, I'm called to speak to to shine the light on their soul. So put you way outside of your comfort zone in some ways. Mm-hmm. And then, Very much. I was just going to share like my, my, my initial thing was I was going to share what I did past, past taking the violence out of my life. I've actually become plant-based in the past four months. Over the past five years, it's finally like the last one was like, okay, I don't like fish anymore. All right. I guess I'm plant-based. Um, and I have three TerraCycle boxes and I'm really big on nutrition. So like, I thought that's what the podcast was going to be. I really did. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not at all. I mean, it has some of that, but it's much deeper than that. I think it's so amusing when you, when you answer the call, cause you said you knew for like a year, is that what you mm-hmm. said that you were going to do a podcast, but you know, we as humans ignore that. We'll just mm-hmm. ignore that shit, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, and then when we finally do it, we're like, and it's going to be this. And the universe is like, actually, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. But thank you for being open to learning that. Like, thanks for your suggestions, <laughs> but that's not what this is about. <laughs> I know. I always think whatever modality you believe in, but in that spiritual sense, like you use that word, like mm-hmm. you're being laughed at at a cosmic karma level. Like, oh, you're so cute. That that's what you thought. <laughs> Oh, sweetie, that's so endearing that you yeah. thought you were going to talk. Yeah, it's not. that's not what you're going to talk about, and that's not what mm-hmm. you're going to do. I do believe that if our unconscious was more in our face, we would be terrified. Mm-hmm. And if we don't take those things incrementally, we would probably just shut down in the face oh, of yeah. all of it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't deal with my my trauma as an infant until about four months ago. What was that like? Oh my gosh. Um, For 90 seconds, I fully felt it. And I have never felt so terrorized in my life for 90 seconds. And then it was gone. Just, okay. You finally paid attention to me. Right. Which is why it's so important to sit with your emotions. You know what? I think that's a great actual odd, but great place to end Uh is that it's never what we think it's going to be. And it's important to sit with our emotions. Mm -hmm. Just let them be. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Erica, for coming on and sharing your story. You're so welcome. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.